So this morning we're continuing on through the book of Jonah. Uh, we're on to the third chapter, Jonah chapter three. Um, I will read it in a minute. You'll find the, the uh, words on the screen behind me, or if you've got it with you, or on the screen in front of you. Um, yeah, I'll recap the story in a little bit, but here's where we are. Before we read it, let's pray. God, thanks for, for this book once again. Um, and we humbly ask that uh, in these next uh, few moments and minutes, and we ask that you would speak, that your voice would be the voice that we hear. Um, come Holy Spirit, we are dependent on you in this moment. Open us up, help us to hear, give us eyes that see and ears that hear so that, so that we allow you to do in us whatever it is you want to, want to do uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Jonah chapter 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very, some translations say, important city. Better translated. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. Um, a better way to say it would be ginormously large city. A visit there required three days. Right, so you couldn't just walk through and you're done. Like It's going to take you three days to get through the whole place. So it's a big place. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any person or beast, herd or flock, taste anything do not let them eat or drink, but let people and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may re yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw all that they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. We will go that far. That's it. That's the chapter. There's some humor in there. There's some old, old Hebraic Israelite humor in there. Like, did you catch it? We'll talk about it in a little bit. But it, that, what? The animals? What's happening here? It's really pretty good. So, 
I, I don't know about you, but I think this book is fun. I think it's, I think it's awesome. I think in a lot of ways, there is some hilarity to it. Lots of hilarity to it, actually. Um, there's, there's some pretty good humor. So uh, before we get into what we read this morning, I think it's important for us to remind ourselves where we are in the story, because all of this whole, this whole thing fits together. You can't, you can't just separate, you can't just take a verse Take it out and read it and be like, that's it. Uh, and all, all of it, the context always matters. The, so where are we in the flow of the narrative, right? So let's remember where we've been. Jonah is a prophet. Prophets are supposed to have guts. Prophets are supposed to be these people with the kind of intestinal fortitude it takes to, to speak the truth uh, to power. So he's supposed to be that kind of guy. He's supposed to be really strong. But when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it because their wickedness has come up before me. What does he do? He runs in the opposite direction. He goes to the other side of the known world. You can't run as far away from God as Jonah ran. Like this is as far away from God as you could go. The opposite direction. Nineveh, the city of blood, the city where they'll kill people like me just for fun, confront the ugly powers that be in this world. Nah, man, I'm headed for Tarshish. Nineveh's over there. I'm going to Tarshish in the opposite direction. So Jonah, he hires this crew. He hires a ship and its entire crew to take him to Tarshish, to take him. So he's running for safety. Get this. This is part of the hilarity of the book. He's running for safety away from God. He's running for safety away from God. That's a curious choice. Now, when Jonah is sleeping below deck, God sends a great storm. Sailors are all fighting against it. They're trying to figure out what's wrong. They can't figure it out. The captain goes below deck, and eventually he comes above deck, and he says, it's my fault. I'm running from the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Throw me into the sea and it will become calm. So this crew from Tarshish, they don't want to do this because they're good, decent, kind people, even though they're foreigners. They're good, decent, kind people. They don't want to just throw him in. They have compassionate hearts. So they work hard fighting against the sea, but it grew stronger. And finally, they figured out they don't have a choice. They throw him into the sea and it grows calm. And these foreign people from Tarshish, they begin to believe in this God they had never heard of before, the God of Israel, the God of heaven who made the land and the sea. And oh my goodness, God shows up in Tarshish. God is huge. Meanwhile, Jonah goes down, down. How far down? He goes all the way down. He thinks he's going to die. He thinks he's going to drown. But what did we talk about last week? When human beings are down, all the way down, God is always up to something. God is still up to something. So God commissions, appoints a great fish to swallow Jonah. He's in the fish for three days and three nights and when you're down at the bottom of the sea in the belly of the fish, there's only one thing left for you to do. Because you can't do anything else. The only thing you have left to do is to just pray. So he does. He prays. Maybe he's beginning to realize that the safest place in the world is exactly where God wants you to be. 
And right now, that's at the bottom of the sea, in the belly of a fish. So he prays. And his prayer is amazing. It's like this, it's this mishmash of, of like a dozen or so psalms, all sort of put together. He's reaching from all sorts of different places. And it's because of that, it's because it's from the scriptures, it's because it's from the word of the Lord, it sustains it. It gives him life. It gives him hope. And it reminds him who God is, who God has revealed God's self to be in this world, that God really is gracious, that God really is loving, that God really does save, that God is really, really good. And it reminds him that while human beings are down as low as we can go, God is still up to something. What is God up to? And then, as if being in the belly of a fish at the bottom of the sea, right, wasn't great enough. God, God's there for him. Something greater happens. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Right? So there he is. Just picture it in your mind. You have to picture it. You have to see it. So there he is. He's covered in fish vomit. Think of that. Ew! Half-digested shrimp all over him. He slowly staggers to his feet. He's like wiping it out of his eye. Like, I can't see it. And then he begins to cry. He begins to weep because he's alive. He's alive. God really does save. What once was lost is now found again. So that's where we left him last week. And that's where we join him today. So he's there, he's staggering, he's bewildered, he doesn't, want to, doesn't know what to do, doesn't know what to think. He's trying to figure out what just happened. He's trying to figure out, what, what do I do now? What do I do next? Like he's, got this new vo- he's got this new life again. What's going to happen now? And then all of a sudden, there's that voice again. It's that voice that keeps coming. Like, it's relentless. It's back. It's that familiar voice with those familiar words. Maybe, did he hear it? Was it an audible voice? I don't know. Was it an intuition? Was it something that burned in his heart? We describe it as a voice. There's that voice again. It's that voice that keeps coming back. Right? It's that thought that returns again and again and again and again. You know what I'm talking about? It's that thing. It keeps coming back. It's told you to do this before, and now it's back again because you didn't do it, and now here it is again. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Nineveh. Nineveh. The city of blood. Nineveh. It's the place of fear. It's the place of danger. Nineveh. It is the last place on earth that Jonah wants to go. It's the last place on earth you want to go, but God is calling you to go. God says Nineveh. It's still Nineveh. That's where I want you to go. Go to Nineveh. There's a word for you. Go. Right? Go. That word is all over the pages of this book, by the way. Go. It's 
all over the pages of the book. And now here it is with Jonah a second time. Go. Now last week, what word did we hear? We heard the word stop. Jonah was stopped up at the bottom of the sea in the belly of a fish. Stop. Stop running. Stop filling your lives with all sorts of distractions. Just stop. Stop filling our lives with all sorts of extra responsibilities so that we don't have to pay attention to what's on the inside, so we don't have to pay attention to what what God might be calling us to stop and pray. It's only when we stop and pray and reconnect with the divine that we realize that God might be up to something. It's only when we stop and pray and reconnect with the divine that we actually are able to hear a word from God about where God might want us to go. Because most likely, what God wants to communicate to us is going to include that word, go. Go. It's like, that's what this book is about. God telling people to go. God telling people to go, I want you to work with me. God telling people to go, I will take care of you. Go. I will bless you. Go. I will multiply things for you. Go. I will be with you. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. You might risk your reputation. You might risk your stuff. You might risk relationships. But I'm asking you to go, and I will be with you. To Abraham, what did God say? He said, go. To Moses, what did God say? Go. All throughout the Old Testament, God constantly is telling people to go, go, go. He died, rose from the grave. What did he tell his followers? He said, go first to the women who led the way, then to the men who sort of figured it out later after the women were told to go, then the men were told to go, and they figured, well, we might as well go, and they went. At the heart of this thing we call faith, there's movement There's adventure. There's risk-taking. There's this sort of outward push toward the other. Get that. There's this outward push toward the other that's all too easily forgotten as we distract ourselves with everyday life and all the things and responsibilities that we have. God says, go. Go to the other. Go to Nineveh, not Nineveh. They're the enemy. No, Go to Nineveh. There's this outward push toward the other. It's constantly in there, all over this book. And we too easily forget it. God says, go. Go to Nineveh. And looky what happens next. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. It's at this point in the story we're like, Yes! He did it! He went to Nineveh. He stepped up and he stepped out. He finally took a chance that the safest place in the world was exactly where God wanted him to be. Even if it's scary, even if it could cost you your life, even if it does demand every ounce of your energy, he went. In spite of where he'd been, down, All the way down, in spite of his running away, Jonah finally did it. Jonah went to Nineveh. Uh, There are those moments, aren't there? There are those moments, in spite of our running away, in spite of our, our messing things up, 
in spite of our, 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 our constant struggles, in spite of all of that, there are those moments where we actually, where we actually go. We actually do it. We actually, we actually get it and follow through. Right? Maybe it's that moment when, when you're like going to retweet something on Twitter or you're going to respond to somebody's thread about who knows what and you're like, I'm going to get these people. And you're like, I'm going to stop. And instead, you act graciously and compassionately, kindly, and you leave room for disagreement. Maybe it's that, maybe it's that moment when you're going to spread that nice, juicy piece, piece of, of gossip, like, oh, it's right there. Like, this would make me re- feel really good about myself, so I'm just going to spread it. I don't know if it's true, but there it is. Maybe it's that moment when, when you might lash out in anger against your kids or your spouse or, or someone else, and you hold your temper you take a deep breath and you stop. Maybe it's that moment when, when you do go and you speak the truth and you do it in a loving, gracious way to the person in your life who needs to hear it. In spite of our running away, there are those moments when we get it. Like We could probably spend some time here talking this morning about, about those moments when you're like, God was calling me to do this really hard thing and I was scared and I did it. And this is what happened. And we'd have a great conversation because there are those moments when we do step up. There are those moments when we, when we do step out. Aren't those moments great? Yeah, they're great. Aren't those moments when you, when you feel like you're sort of in the flow with what God is up to in the world? and you feel connected to it, and you do it, and you're walking and stuff. Don't you just want to cheer for Jonah? And Jonah did it. He obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. He did it. But the story moves on. Now, Nineveh, in some translations say, was an important city. Nineveh was a very large city. Nineveh was a ginormously huge city. A, require, a visit required three days. On the first day, he's a third of the way through the city. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. This is such a fascinating thing. And it's part of the funning of it. So Jonah starts out and it's almost like reality sets in. He starts going and he realized, oh my goodness, this is still Nineveh. This is still the city of blood. He gets a third away into the thing and he stops and he's probably frustrated. He's probably sick of mixing with people who are different than he is. Like he's uncomfortable. He doesn't like it. He still doesn't want to be there. Right? So he gives one of the shortest sermons ever given. Eight words in, in English, and it's only six words in Hebrew. He says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. He's walking through the streets, proclaiming. He's probably carrying a sign that doesn't say turn or burn, but close. And he's like, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Um, 40 more days, Nineveh is going to be overturned. Just warning you. And his message isn't even specific. It's not specific at all, right? He doesn't even sound like a prophet. He's not naming atrocities. 
he's not naming specific sins or shortcomings of the whole city. He's not crying out for injustice and the victims of injustice. He's not standing on the side of, of people who've been wronged. No, there's no word of the Lord here. The word of the Lord says none of that. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. 40 more days. There's no word of the Lord. There's not even any mention of God whatsoever. What is going on here? Well, some scholars think that, that what's going on here is exactly what I just talked about. He's kind of going after it. He's doing it. He's obeying, but he's kind of like, eh. He's going after it half-heartedly. He's not, he's not, he's not do, he doesn't think it's going to do any good. The Ninevites, they're never going to turn. The Ninev- so he's like, there's no way they'll listen. There's no way I'm going to make it out of this alive if I really give my all to it. There's no way I can do this. There's no way they're going to listen. None of this is going to work. So he gives this wimpy little half-hearted sermon. Right? It's the easiest thing in the world to have that kind of an attitude when you're confronted with something so big, isn't it? It's not going to work. This isn't going to happen. Right? Nothing new is going to be created here. Jonah's, where is he going again? He's, he's going down again. All the way down. But what happens when human beings go down? God's still up to something. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. After that, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed after that? Like, I wish I could give that kind of effort every week and get that kind of results. That would just be fantastic. So the people living the farthest away from God, the people least likely to believe, and not just some people, all the people... All of them, from the greatest to the least. He's only a third of the way through preaching a half-hearted sermon, and all of them believe. And they don't just believe, they declare a fast. All of them, from the greatest to the least, and they put on sackcloth. They wore this abrasive covering made from goat hair that's not comfortable at all. A hair shirt. You ever heard of one of those? They're wearing hair shirts as a public display of their repentance. And then get this. When news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. He's a brutal dictator, the worst in the world. Think Hitler. Think Stalin. A dude like that. This brutal dictator puts on sackcloth and sits down in the dust. And then, not only that, he sends out a decree. He says, no one may eat anything, not even the animals. Let everyone urgently call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Do you get the humor in that? Like, it's hilarious. Not only are the people reached, but so are the animals. 
And they apparently agree to it, to wear hair shirts as well. Right? Even the animals are reached. These people are so passionate about turning their lives to God that they even make their, their cat do it. Like, let's pray. We have two cats. I can't imagine sitting down with my two little kitties and being like, let's pray. You need to turn your life to God too. It's hilarious. It's all-encompassing. It's humongo. It's huge. It's a complete turnaround. God, clearly God is up to something big. Right now, here's the best part of all. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion on them and did not bring upon them the destruction that He had threatened. I hope you're getting this. Are you getting it? This little book, four chapters, we're only three-fourths of the way in, and we're already realizing, oh my goodness, something big is happening here. This little book about a prophet named Jonah isn't a book that ends with, this is impossible. This is not going to happen. There's no way. This isn't a book about a God that can be measured. Like, we think we can measure God. We think we've got God pinned down. But this book about Jonah and God, it isn't about a God that we can pin down, that we can safely box in with all our theological categories and all our systematic theologies. There's This God cannot be pinned down. This isn't a book about a God that we can control. This isn't a book about a God who gives us sort of all of these sensible outcomes that that we've come to expect. No, this book is about a God of immeasurable grace. This book is about a God of unexpected mercy. The Ninevites? This doesn't make any sense because earlier in this book, God's like, no, I want you to kill all your enemies. And now in this book, God is like, I'm going to have compassion on your enemies, the people living the farthest away from me. How does that make any sense? Unexpected mercy, impossible outcomes. That's what this book is all about. Mm. We live in a no-way world. Like, it's not going to happen. It's impossible. Nothing's going to change. This is the way it's been. It's always been that way. And nothing new is going to happen. Nothing's going to change. What was, is, and will be. Turn, turn, turn. That's the way the world is. That's the world we live in. Maybe, maybe it's personal for you. What's your no, maybe there's no way you'll get over that addiction. Maybe there's no way you'll go to that person you, you know you can trust with it and say, I can't get over this thing. I need help. Maybe there's no way that'll happen. Maybe there's no way you can extend grace to that person. Maybe there's no way you can open your heart to forgiveness. Maybe there's, there's no way you can serve Maybe you just don't have time. Maybe there's no way you're ever going to be happy with your job. Maybe there's, no way, maybe there's no way your neighbor, your friend, or your family member will ever forgive you so you, so you don't ask for it. Maybe your family member, your friend, your, your neighbor, maybe they'll never open themselves up to a conversation about what it might look like to be in a relationship with the divine. Maybe not. What's your no way? Because that's the kind of world we live in. Nothing's changed. It's all the same. What's our no way? What's our no way as a community? As renewed community? What is it? We're like this big collective Jonah. We're like Jonah together. 
He didn't think it was going to happen. Eh. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. He didn't believe it. He didn't think it would happen. What's our no way? Look, we've just been through a pandemic. Sometimes I think to myself, there ain't no way this is going to happen here. After all we've been through, no. No way. What's our no way? Like maybe there's no way we can actually become the kind of community that God wants us to be. Maybe there's, maybe there's no way we can actually be a, a people of integrity that lives into our, our core value of unconditional acceptance. Maybe we'll never create that kind of space where everyone is welcome. Maybe we'll never create that space where we can actually walk into this room and disagree with one another and be okay and still love one another. Maybe we'll never create the kind of space where people can come into this place and actually doubt and question and wonder and not know what they believe. And all of us together will be like, it's okay. You belong here. We love you. Maybe we'll never create that kind of space. Maybe we'll never. Look, financially, things are hard around here. Maybe we'll never grow to the point where we can be financially on our own. Maybe we'll never invite our friends. What's our no way? Maybe none of that will happen. No way. It's impossible. We don't believe in that kind of God. That's not what this book is about. Uh Uh-uh. We believe in a God of immeasurable grace. The Ninevites? The Ninevites. Unexpected mercy. God God wanted us earlier in this book to kill our enemies. And now God says, my arms are wide open. You're now included. You are loved too. Welcome to the family. Immeasurable grace, unexpected mercy, impossible outcomes. That's the God that we believe in. That's the God that this book reveals. What? Friends, Jonah didn't just stay on the beach. Saved, but just sitting there. Yay, I'm saved, he said on the beach and went on his merry way and enjoyed his salvation. He got up and did something really wimply. That's a new word I just invented. And God did something amazing, turned a whole city. We cannot, none of us can just stay on the beach. Saved, yay, I'm going to go to heaven. But just sitting here, nope. God is waiting to do something. God is waiting to do something through you. God is waiting to do something through me. God is waiting to do something through us together as this little collective Jonah. So right now we're on the beach. Right now we're, so what? We're covered in fish vomit. We stink. Like it really reeks. And God looks at us and says, it's fine. It's okay. I don't care that you smell. I don't care that this thing's really bad. I love you. Now get up. Let's do something together. The only question is, will we answer that call, that voice that constantly comes back and says, go, 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 go. Will we?
I sure hope so. Let's pray.